All right. Recording in progress. All right. So welcome to, I guess, the Full Spectrum podcast, whatever this is, whatever this is going to be. This is, my name is Aaron Bean. Um, if there's anybody that ever ends up watching this, thank you. Um, I am a realtor in Bellingham, Washington, and uh, doing this podcast, starting it up, uh, just talking about a range of different topics. Want to talk about, obviously, uh, current events, you know, the state of the world, uh, politic, uh, political climates, changes, movements, uh, cryptocurrency, the blockchain, Web 3.0, and then uh, other alternative topics, you know, like CBD, cannabis, tattooing, music, arts, entertainment, stuff like that. So uh, today on the inaugural episode of the Full Spectrum podcast is uh, the one and only Ryan Bowman also known as Rye. And Rye, uh, would you please introduce yourself and, and tell our massive audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Well, uh, my name is Ryan Bowman, uh, Rybo on Facebook or Rybo Flavin on Instagram if you're uh, looking to follow me. Uh, currently, I am an entrepreneur in the CBD product space, a longtime massage therapist previously, uh, really interested in you know, information, learning constantly. Um, and right now I'm learning about business and the CBD space in general, looking to, you know, evolve everyone's mind on their own personal wellness, which kind of taps into some of my past and massage. Awesome. Well, uh, I mean, since you brought it up, do you want to just talk about that now? Talk about the, the wellness aspect and your, your new ventures and the, the new route that you've gone on the last couple of years? Yeah, sure. Let's uh, shoot it out. Um, what I've been doing recently is uh, just trying to, I, I started a TikTok, which is weird because it's mm -hmm. a whole new thing and it's outside of my typical age range, but it's been interesting working on uh, being a social media influencer on the endocannabinoid system. Most people just know CBD and all they know is CBD is good for pain. Yeah. And really that's like one grain of rice in a bag when it, I mean, a tip of the iceberg doesn't really efficiently address how far from the full spectrum of things it covers the what um the full spectrum of things oh, it covers. Oh, nice plug so uh i'm really just been diving into teaching people about the endocannabinoid system which was recently discovered in 1988 but even though they discovered it over about 30 years ago only eight percent of medical institutions in the country even teach anything about it at all hmm. so in retrospect, I know more about the endocannabinoid system than most of your doctors know. Why do, why do you think just, that is? You know, you can go right into some politics and tie this into the rest of your stuff. Um, in 1937 is the tipping point. Prior to 1937, cannabis was the third most prescribed medical prescription in America by physicians. Right behind after like 1937. Whiskey, Right. After 1937, uh, the Federal uh, Bureau of Narcotics was formed and they started to prohibit and kind of bastardize the cannabis plant in general. My my speculation would be that there was a lot of pressure from uh, players like Carnegie, Roth, Rockefeller, who were in the steel and oil industries to really push back on the cannabis plant in general, because it's so versatile and you really can't control the power of who holds it because anyone can grow cannabis as long as you have a patch of dirt 
you can grow cannabis, therefore you would be a player in the game. So right. I think and, it and was it's, a, it's it wasn't so much uh, like what we think of today as cannabis, you know, with the cultural uh, dogma around cannabis is right. People think weed. Right. But really what they were afraid of is hemp. Right. Yeah. 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 Hemp. Hemp really uh, they really was super beneficial for a lot of reasons. You go back historically, it was one of the main reasons that civilization even was founded because you, civilization is directly tied to agriculture. And when agriculture was really prevalent and started on mass agriculture, one of the first crops that the Chinese uh, civilizations were using was hemp because of its versatility in building structures, using it for fibers, using it for oil, using it for edible. Um, today, we know of over 25,000 different uses for the industrial hemp plant. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. It's incredible. And so, so a specific compound in hemp, uh, or I guess in cannabis, uh, CBD differs from THC, right? THC being the psychoactive compound, CBD being non-psychoactive. But I know a lot of people, especially in older generations, they still have that, that, that stigma against CBD, right? And they're afraid that because of its associations with weed. So what would you say to people who are maybe older and, and haven't had that, that um, initiation with CBD? I, I would let them know that CBD is a cannabinoid, just like THC is a cannabinoid. THC has a psychoactive property associated with it, which is activated by temperature. So you have to decarboxylate THC in order to activate the psychoactive properties of it. You can actually take it in a non-decarboxylated way and you won't have those same properties. Um, but I would, I would really get into the endocannabinoid system, really. Um, our body produces cannabinoids. Endogenous cannabinoids are produced by your body billions of times a day. There's anandamide, which is the bliss molecule, and then 2-AG. And they directly interact with your cannabinoid receptors, which you have a cannabinoid receptor, CB1 receptor, which is associated with your central nervous system. Okay. And you have more CB1 receptors in your brain than you actually have neurotransmitters. And if you take that into account, you realize, wow, that must be a pretty important system if there's more things correlating with that in your brain than there are with neurotransmission. Wow. That's, that's, in, that's insane. Because I think one of the things that we, when we try to imagine something at scale, right, like something of an unimaginable scale, Right. One, one example you'd use is like the number of neurons in your brain. Right. Because it's like an uncountable number. But you're saying that we actually have more uh, endocannabinoid receptors in our brain than we do transmitters. Yeah. And that's just CB1 receptors, which are basically really associated with your central nervous system. And then you have CB2 receptors, which are a whole nother subset of cannabinoidal receptors in your body. And they're directly associated with your immune system system. And now this is really where I get into things, especially with COVID, which mm. this also ties in that. So it's the CB2 receptors are directly linked to your immunity and your immune system. Mm -hmm. And together with the CB1 and CB2 receptors, research is showing that every single illness in the human body has a direct link to your endocannabinoid system. Hmm. It's a regulator. So it basically monitors where your body is and external things that are happening to your body. And it upregulates and downregulates your body's reaction depending on the circumstances. So if your endocannabinoid system is out of whack and not able to help balance things, you end up with autoimmune diseases. You end up with ADHD, hormonal imbalances, anxiety, 
uh, sleep disorders, every single thing in your body directly can be benefited through your endocannabinoid system, which is where I think people end up getting this whole CBD is a miracle drug. It's snake oil. And they start to get that disassociation because they don't understand why it has the effects it has. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's the engine, it's the fuel for the engine that oversees your entire bodily function. And it's a system that everybody has in their body, regardless of whether or not they ingest a cannabis product. Yeah. Every single animal on the planet minus insects has an endocannabinoid system. In fact, dogs- Lame ass insects, not even, not even having cannabinoid right. receptors. Right? So if you look at like dogs have uh, exceptional amount of cannabinoid receptors. And if you correlate that uh, evolutionary, evolutionarily, it's really interesting because dogs obviously domesticated by being companions with us a long time ago and followed us and scavenged from our scraps to survive. So say we were eating cannabis on a regular basis to open up our brains and to evolve. Well, they're eating the scraps and also evolving along with us in that means. Um, and, you know, just to get in other animals, household animals, cats actually have less. So if you're going to dose your dog with CBD, you actually would dose your cat with more because they don't have as many cannabinoid receptors. So they need a higher dose than your dog which is weird because of sizes. So this is a completely unrelated and maybe a stupid question, but we're talking CBD. What about THC? Can my dog get stoned? Can he get ripped? Yeah. Yes. Exceptionally ripped. Actually, they, uh, you'll know, um, you know, Hollywood has portrayed it. They stand and they stagger and they get stiff legged and then they kind of sway like they got sea legs and they can get, it can really um, affect them it's not detrimental or more mortal to them. Um, but it, it definitely, they can get really high, high effect from CBD, um, much like chocolate, um, dark chocolate has cannabinoids in it. Mm -hmm. Same with, you know, there's other sources of phyto cannabinoids outside of the cannabis plant, mm -hmm. um, and terpenes, which are also associated with activating that system. So you find certain terpenes in lavender, black pepper, things of that nature, which also can affect your endocannabinoid system in a positive way. Hmm. So downsides to the dogs and the cats getting ripped. Uh, maybe they start growing dreadlocks and show up late for work. I mean, is that is it, like there's no downsides to it? There, it's not a talk like because chocolate's a toxin for dogs, right? Like yeah, a chocolate bar. No bueno, right? Is is cannabis toxic? I wouldn't say toxic, but I would say I wouldn't. You know, it's gonna it's gonna have a negative effect. They're gonna get they're gonna get sleepy, sick. They might they might vomit, get dry mouth. I wouldn't recommend using marijuana with your animal. I would stick strictly to a CBD um, low percentage THC. Something I, I'm a believer in full spectrum uh products um which is different than broad spectrum or isolate um they contain a minor amount of thc i would stick to those and i would uh dose incrementally with okay. animals as so, well as humans so skip skip the dog in the blunt circle got you and so one other thing i saw an article the other day on the news about there being some sort of re chemical in cannabis 
that might block COVID. <laughs> yes. And so this is the segue there, right? So what, what do we know about that? Uh, CBDA, it is a, they know of over 110 different CBDs or cannabinoids, and they're just researching them. So there's fringe ones that they haven't locked down. They know they exist. They just haven't figured out the complete compound. But um, they're saying that CBDA can link to the spike proteins on the coronavirus, and it blocks it from adhering to your body and your cellular functions and basically works as kind of like a phyto vaccine. Hmm. That's pretty cool. So kill two birds with one stoned. Yeah, right. Definitely. I, I think it's it's one of those things when I talk to the elderly that I really want to focus on helping educate them because, you know, the association is typically with pain, but I want to let them know that this is more than just that. Yeah, it helps with pain, but also it's going to help with every other bodily function. It's going to boost your natural immunity to everything, arthritis, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, everything not Doritos. is going. Yeah. It does not boost your immunity to Doritos. No, doesn't boost your immunity to Doritos. The Dorito fingers are going to stay. Yeah. But you're going to have bugles on the tips of your fingers, just like when you're a kid. Yeah. yeah. So, so with COVID, right. Have you had COVID? You know, we've been in this pandemic for what, two years now. Like, have you got it by now? Uh, no, I'm not vaccinated either. Um, I have chosen to avoid the vaccine for personal reasons. I have seizures and health issues and my research into the vaccines has just given me information that doesn't make me super keen on doing that. So I've been using a regimen of daily vitamins, CBD oil, and um, I double mask when I go in public and I I, I limit my exposure publicly. I try to just be cognitive of my surroundings. I don't want to be rude and put myself on other people's space because everyone shares a different opinion about things. Yeah. So I just try to maintain respectability, but I've never, I haven't had it. My wife hasn't had it. She is vaccinated due to uh, mandates by the state. Right. But um, we've been good. Uh, and we were traveling. We were actually in Breckenridge when the lockdown happened in 2020. And we flew home, you know, but we maintain a healthy lifestyle, which yeah. is really important um, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, there's a lot of data coming out, I think, supporting that uh, your general health impacts not only your uh, chances of getting COVID, but the, obviously your body's reaction to it, which is only logical, right? I mean, the healthier person, the healthier the immune system, the better you'll be able to fight off those spike proteins and the, uh, you know the storm and all that. So, um, and you said you double mask. So are you a firm believer in masking? Like you really believe that there's a, an impact? Oh uh, yeah. hundred percent. Uh, I, uh, I think that uh, history really shows that, um, you know, before COVID and whatnot, you'd see people in Asia, whenever there's something, they'd be wearing masks and it was very regular over there. Um, I think that the numbers and the statistics show when you look at the spikes in COVID and you correlate and you look at the chart and you say mask mandates, and then you say the mask mandates go away, you see a correlation with a rise in COVID cases when they take the masks away. Mm. Um, it, it's very prevalent. It's obvious. So I think that you know when you look at all of the diff different statistical variables, 
it shows that it is, it does have an impact. I think that people need to stop looking at things so linearly and understand that there's multiple variables that go into how you deal with things in life in general. Um, not just this pandemic, but you know, the masks along with having a healthier uh, lifestyle and uh, solid biological awareness of how your body functions. Again, getting back to the endocannabinoid system, I, I really feel that our understanding of that is more important than the vaccine. Uh, your body is a, a temple. If you live a healthy lifestyle, that encourages a healthy endocannabinoid system, which obviously we've known from the histories, what keeps you healthy in the long run. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. One anecdote about the masks. Uh, I, I lived in Vietnam for a couple of years, right? In the big city in Saigon. And there, oftentimes you'll find yourself in the middle of a throng of people on motorbikes, right? All idling at a red light and there's just exhaust everywhere. And you can definitely smell, right? And a lot of people don't wear masks there. They just ride around fully just raw dog in the air out there, you know, and it's you, like, if you do that, it's, it feels like you smoke, right? Like it feels like you smoked a cigarette. And um, a lot of people, especially uh, younger people have started wearing masks when they ride around there. And I will say, I did notice a big difference, you know, like they were high quality masks with multiple layers and filters. Um, and they were, you know, at a snug fit. So they were more so than just the little crappy disposable mask or like a, a buff, but it did make a difference. Yeah. I do an N95 mask um, underneath, and then I do an Under Armour mask over the top um, just because I, it, it, I can feel, I can breathe the difference. I can tell, yeah, it's not coming in as easily, but you know, I'm trying to be safe. I'm trying not to spread things. And I, like I said, I haven't gotten it the whole time. And, you know, my wife hasn't either. And she's a massage therapist that works closely with people every single day, five, six days a week. And she hasn't gotten it either. I mean, I think just being cognitive and, you know, taking your vitamins, keeping your body healthy. That's the best thing I think that you can do. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't gotten it either. My partner, my partner is a kindergarten teacher. She hasn't gotten it. You know, um, I work, I'm a realtor. I work with people all day, every day. I haven't, well, I haven't gotten it to the best of my knowledge, right? Maybe I got right. it and I just had no symptoms and now I test negative. So I, who knows, right? I haven't taken the, that antibody test. I probably should, but uh, let's, uh, let's transition to cryptocurrency. Cause I know that's another uh, field that you're passionate about. And a lot of people these days are um, not just crypto, but a lot of other blockchain projects like uh, NFTs and uh, web 3.0. Um, all these different things that run off the blockchain. What what do you do with crypto? Are you an investor or what do you do? Yeah, I'm an investor. I wouldn't consider myself a trader because I staked everything. Um, originally got in to do trading and whatnot, but right off the bat, did some research and invested in some super high quality coins right off the bat. I looked up I got in on Solana at $40. I got in on Avalanche at like 50 and I dropped a decent chunk of what I had to play with. I did, you know, I had a total of maybe like $7,500 to get started mm -hmm. and I hit right off the bat and I didn't want to move off of those coins. Um, the metrics and the, you know, the way I was looking at it, when I evaluated the coins I was getting to, I, I looked at the technology, how many transactions per second 
these technologies could push and what their capabilities were. And that's what led me to Solana early. Um, also, same thing with Avalanche. So I think in the long run, there's no point for me to move my money out of there because, you know, as things continue on, those two are going to be in the top 10 for the foreseeable future. So well, and, and I don't know, I don't know Avalanche. I don't think I do anyway, but I, from what I understand, Solana is a, a utility token. And I didn't even realize until recently that there's different, you know, different kinds of crypto coins. You know, there's a Bitcoin, which is just basically a currency, right? And then there's Ethereum, which is a whole um, product line and, and actually a utility token where it's used to, to do things. Um, what that means, I don't really understand. Um, but I know that that's different somehow than Bitcoin or, you know, Litecoin. Um, so do you look at things that are mostly utility based, like gaming crypto, or do you like more so the currency fluctuations of like Bitcoin? Um, you know, well, first off, Solana is its own ecosystem. Same thing with Ethereum um, and Bitcoin. So they're their own currency coin. You have coins, you have utility coins, and then you got stable coins and different investables. Um, I look at coins. Bitcoin, always a killer. Like if you can get to a Bitcoin, just stick with Bitcoin. Um, I follow people like Michael Saylor, Raul Paul. These guys are top of the game investors. And those coins are always going to move up. Um, utility coins, I like the idea of utility coins. Um, there's a lot you can do with that. You can be like, hey, I'm going to hold this many coins in this utility that offers this service, right? So I have 100 Uber coins, right? So that's what I have each month and I can spend those on Uber rides, right? But if I, if I run out of grocery coins, I can exchange my Uber coins through a transaction process and move them over here. So, but that all the question about that, well, doesn't that just add an unnecessary step when you can just do the same thing with money? You know, like instead of moving my grocery coins to my laundry coins, like how about I just take this dollar I have in my hand and do it that way? You know, that would be a coin. So that, that you're doing that with uh, Bitcoin, uh, Ether, Solana, those solid coins work outside of that. And then utility coins work within certain ecosystems like Solana has its own, think metaverse, right? Mm -hmm. So you go into the metaverse and you're in the country of Solana. You're in the Solana ecosystem playing oh, wow. in Solana, like uh, Star Atlas is a Solana based game. Okay. Star Atlas is like No That's Man's the spaceship Sky. One, right? Yeah, it's like No Man's Sky for, for you know, NFT games. Absolutely disappointing. It, I don't know. This game looks dope. I can't afford to play it, <laughs> but it costs you know, money. How much? What's it cost to play it? I don't know the entry fee, but I know that like Axie Infinity right now is like thirteen hundred dollars to get in. Really? I have some Axie Infinity coin. I, I bought some on, on Gemini on the app Gemini. Yeah. Not a sponsor yet, but they'll be a sponsor of the pod. Um, yeah, I bought, I bought some uh, some Axie Infinity, some Sandbox. Uh, Meta, something else. Yeah, like, because somebody was saying, tell me, gaming crypto, gaming coins are what you really got to get into because it's still fairly early on. Like, do you do gaming coins? I, I promote them 
at certain levels, if you're getting in early, I would, you know, Axie Infinity is at like one, like it's a hundred and something per coin, which is to me, it's crazy because I believe that it's going to end up leveling down. So stay, you know, it's only going to be worth what it's worth, right? And uh -huh. video games, video games are $60 a video game for fucking ever. Like you wanted a video game, it was 50, 60 bucks. It seems arbitrary, doesn't it? Like who came up with $60 and why does it continue? Like it, how much does it cost you to make that CD? Like 15 cents, you know? Oh. And you download it for the same price. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? EA, like, Activision, they got us by the bowls, you know? Like. Right. But I think I think gaming coins are going to, you know, they're going to do their thing and ride the wave, but eventually they're going to find their spot because it's just, it's just what it is. It doesn't have exponential potential, whereas some of these other coins like Solana and Ethereum, um, they can get into smart contracts which is a whole nother ball game up your industry level um, where you'll be able to go to a house and be like, Oh, you want this house? Put your fingerprint on here. And you bought the house. Well, well, I feel like there has to be a couple steps there, you know, like maybe an inspection an appraisal. Well, yeah, that type of stuff. Um, but the, the escrow portion and the bank portion. Yeah isn't gonna it, it'll be instantaneous it won't you won't have to do any of that stuff because it'll be well, assuming it'll be you have that much money in your account right like if you're buying a house for five hundred thousand dollars you might you better have five hundred thousand dollars of that coin available right it won't even have to be of that coin i mean as things progress the banks are already on it they're all like oh yep got to get ready for this they're already transitioning and opening up the banking system to cryptocurrencies there's certain banks that are looking at holding your crypto as a secure wallet storage like mm -hmm. these things are already transitioning and it's only going to be happening exceptionally quicker as quantum computing and these technologies start to really unravel and show the full potential bitcoin and cryptocurrency are just a small portion of what blockchain really is blockchain right. it, it's a whole nother world building web3 web3 and things like that in the metaverse People, again, they just, they're not looking all the way into the potential of what this is. This is a whole nother world that we're unra unraveling and everyone's just focused on money because it's the most important thing to people. But this, this, this technology does way more than that, like world changing stuff. I feel like like this can go one of two ways, right? Like this technology could lead, and I'm going to use two uh, media references. Um, it could go like the good way where we end up with a society like from WALL-E, right? The Disney animated movie where humans are just like these, they, they, we just sit on these flying lazy boys and we engage with these screens and we're just in the metaverse and our physical bodies don't matter at all, right? Like we're just sacks of meat with a little floating thing in our brains, right? Or it could go down towards Ready Player One, right? That fantastic Steven Spielberg movie. And I think that's a bit more dystopian, right? Because that, that's almost like District 9 meets, you know, The Matrix. But um, in, that, in, in that one, the people in the lower classes, they're, you know, at least the young people are yearning to just engage and live in this alternate universe, this you know, metaverse for a lack of a better term. Right. It's like, which one are we going to go down? Which one do you think would be more likely? I think that one, those are both uh, adaptations of futures that are driven by boomers and people that created this dy 
dystopian society we live in today focused on greed and monetary capital. We're already dystopian now. Yeah, 100%. I think if you look at the economics of the situation, it, I, I've been discussing this in, in depth with people recently, and it, it, it's horrible. The outcome, I have a 21-year-old brother. Last week, we were at a family dinner, and my grandmother was like, why aren't, aren't you getting ready to have kids? And he straight up said, I can't have kids. I can't afford to have kids. Hmm. He makes $17.50 an hour, which means working full-time after taxes, he only makes about $2,300 a month. The average rent in Washington state is $1,400 a month. If he was to have a child, the average monthly uh, childcare is $1,100 a month. He's already in debt just for paying rent and taking care of his kid. He doesn't have money for food. He doesn't have money for your cell phone, your internet, uh, car, all those other necessities that we've built into society. So if people don't understand the dystopian platform we're in, they're just naive and they're, uh, cognitively dissonant because they don't want to take accountability for the problem that we've all created. I mean, I'm, I'm just as responsible because I obviously it's not different and I'm a part of society. I haven't done enough. I haven't been loud enough. I haven't put my foot down in a way that, you know, changed the world because it, it is here. We're all a part of it. It's a collective and we collectively have failed and allowed the numbers. The numbers just don't make goddamn sense. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of weird because we're living in this paradoxical time where we've talked about like over the last you know four years, the stock market's been insane. It's been booming. More people are making more money in the stock market than ever before. And due to uh, apps like Robinhood and mobile apps with TD Ameritrade and all these free brokerages, anybody can engage with investing. And then crypto comes out and you got this whole new class of wealth coming up where you get these young people who are taking relatively modest uh, amounts of money and turning it into great wealth when you're seeing that little ballooning segment of prosperity. And yet at the same time, we're seeing widening, uh, you know, economic disparities, income inequality, you know, Elon Musk, you know, love what he does, love his innovations and the things he does for the world. But also it's hard to like reconcile that with, he, he made a hundred billion dollars last year. And in, in his, you know, and obviously that's not in his bank account, that's in his net worth. But yeah, at that same time, you know, how many people, you know, lost their homes this year? How many people, you know, went on welfare and are now going to be stuck in the welfare trap this year, you know, lost their jobs, um, lost, lost a, a spouse who was the breadwinner and they lost them to COVID, right? And then now this, this is a single parent, right? Like, it's hard to reconcile that. It's like, are we doing well or are we doing shitty? I think you got to look at who's telling you the storyline and who's giving you your information. One, um, today we're fed by you know, a propaganda machine that is given a name such as news, <laughs> you know, yeah. these news agencies, I, I think it, it's criminal. They shouldn't be allowed. To, you shouldn't be allowed to use that in your title if you don't have factual information. And we all know that that doesn't matter. CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they're all full of shit. I'm not partial here. Um, I think some of them are more full of shit than the others. But yeah, I mean, they're all full of shit to a certain extent. Yeah, they might as well be TMZ or the National Fucking Inquirer. I mean, it's whatever's going to get our following to stir up more. And it doesn't matter what it is. They'll go all the way off the deep end. You got Chris Como. You've got freaking Tucker Carlson. And they're just flaming assholes that are just saying stuff to get you to click or to talk or to watch. Oh, yeah. Doesn't matter if, if it's it leads, true. It leads. Yeah. 
And that's not news. News is facts. This is what's happening. And I think what's really happening is you, you're, it's not just a widening gap in uh, income equality. It's a widening gap in perspective. I think I'm 38 and I think I'm kind of in the middle of that transition. I think you got this boomer generation of people that are cognitively dissonant of their accountability in creating this problem. And they just deny it. They blame it on the youth. They're, they're lazy and they don't work. But the fact is they actually work more hours per week than they actually worked ever. It's not even close because they don't make enough money to survive. Right. So they have to work one to two jobs and still barely make it. So they're, they're making up stuff that's not actually factually true to make their reality okay. Because they don't want to face the facts that, yeah, we allowed climate change, we allowed the climate to get raped, to pad our pockets and to produce this income so that we can have this retirement. And we left nothing but problems for the youth and an uh, inability hey, to get there. Palm Springs is so nice. Have you ever played golf in Palm Springs? I mean, had a cigar, you know, maybe some scotch, you know? Wearing a polo and some khakis. No, not not Palm Springs. I've golfed on some nice golf courses in my time. I love the uh, I love you know, the stick game. Those golf trips are funded by the blood and the the devastation and the greed that they've you know made their money on. But yeah. also, not gonna not gonna gloss over the fact that as the baby boomer generation dies off you know, rest in peace. They're going to initiate the largest transfer of wealth ever in the history of humankind as that money trickles to their descendants, right? Like generation X or millennials like you and I. Um, so, you know, it's just a waiting game, right? Time's on our side. But it's not, unfortunately, there, you know, there, there is a doomsday clock that went forward a hundred seconds under the previous administration, which is way farther than it ever has. They, they came up with a doomsday clock right after World War II. And it was kind of a timeline on how long the world has before it just goes to shit. According, Nuclear disaster. or what? According to uh, physicists, scientists, a collection of smart people. <laughs> smart people with big brains. Yeah, yeah we're the big brains. Um, it was after Hiroshima and whatnot, they, they started calculating like what would happen and what the doomsday clock is for atomic warfare. And that's taking into account things. And then they added climate. And the way we've approached it is we're, we're inefficient um, in how we approach these problems because we're trying to balance the solution to the problem with and maintain capitalism. And the fact is, Things have to change. Um, you know, people these days, especially in American society, it's Republican, it's Democrat, it's maintaining democracy, but it's like there was something before democracy, and then someone decided this is what democracy is. We need to again change it and come up with something new to deal with today's problems. And we have to drastically change out of that in order to address a lot of these problems if we're gonna get all of them taken care of, economics, so, climate. So you don't believe that democracy is a viable way forward? No, I don't. I don't think that democracy is a, I don't think democracy is real. First of all, in order to have a real democracy, you have to have an educated populace. Um, I believe that was Aristotle or Plato. Um, and we don't have an educated populace, uh, especially in America. I mean, people in America, what we rank like 28th in the world in education, like Probably. people, we have 
we have flat earthers and, you know, QAnon supporters and people that believe things that are just not simply true. We, and they're, they're allowed to vote. So that's not a, we don't have the ability to be a democracy. Um, we have to really put some more attention into our education system and making sure that the people that are collectively making decisions on how our society moves forward are reasonable. They're not going to say, no, I, I, I want to build a giant church and all the money goes to the church. And if you're not yeah, part that, of the religion, that has nothing to do with democracy, right? Like, no, but, but it's, it's a decision. It's where their mindset is. And we have so many different people with mindsets that aren't based in reality. But I don't think we have a monopoly on that. Those people exist everywhere, right? And it's like, yeah, I, I agree that you can never have a perfect democracy because technically what we have is a republic, not a democracy because people don't directly vote. Like there's, it's complicated and wonky and all that. But like democracy, republic, I think the point is that it's like the ideals, right? The ideals that the, the government runs by and for the people, right? Now you can, we can have a whole nother argument and talk till our faces are blue about how that's all bullshit in reality and that, it's not for people, right? But that's at least what the system is supposedly structured on, right? And we do have this voting system. And, you know, it's not like Russia. It's not like, North, you know, North Korea where it, you know, or when I lived in Vietnam, right? Like they had voting, but it didn't matter what you put on the voting ballot. Like the <laughs> communist lead, the, the communist person was going to win. You could, you know, you, you didn't want to put another, you didn't want to vote for somebody else, right? Because, you know, you're on the list. But like, at least here, we have this idea that you can vote freely. Yeah, it is an idea. It's like, a, you know, uh, what is it? The fight club, you know, when Brad Pitt's on the plane and he's like, look at these guys, calm as Hindu cows. It's the illusion of safety. Like, yeah, put the oxygen mask on. It's going to save you as you tumble down to the freaking hard surface and you explode. It's an illusion of choice. It's an illusion of being a part of something. And I feel that, you know, we have to collectively at some point start to come up with a society that doesn't function the way we do today, because it obviously hasn't worked. We're, we're in, we are where we are. We have income disparities. We have climate struggles. We have logistical problems that don't make sense. We have hungry people. We, we throw away 50 to 60% of our food because it doesn't look pretty and we have hungry people we have we have homeless veterans which to me is one of the paramount asinine things in the world these you know things that don't make sense to me and we continue to propagate on that machine the whole time and avoid it just just don't look at it it's not there and it's a simple it's not it's a simple fix stop throwing away the food you know if it doesn't look pretty make soup out of it there you go it doesn't have to look pretty if it's soup who gives a shit? Don't, don't you think, though, that I mean, that's that's more of a function of capitalism, because, you know, I, I am not anti-capitalist, but I know that there's a lot of people today who are anti-capitalist and say late stage capitalism, you know, um, and I think that, you know, obviously democracy is like a, a, a governmental function and capitalism is an economic function, right? Like, and I think most people, I would think most people would agree that right now it's more of a misfunction of our economy and the way that it works or doesn't for the average person who engages with it right yeah it but i think that that what what's happened is the democracy has been eaten by the capitalism and you have lobbyists who are in corporations voting and things like that so this democracy is no longer what's running the thing it's the the economy is running america has been for a long time 
and way longer than people want to understand. World War One, World War Two, the economy went through the roof. Why? Because we run on war. We make weapons. It brings in money. And that's why we're perpetually at war with everyone all the time. It doesn't matter. These, these economic reasons are what drive our government to make choices all the time. The reason we throw away the food, planned obsolescence. After, after World War II, we got a whole bunch of Nazi economists who came over and convinced us that, you know what, this mop right here, you can use that mop for a lifetime. No one's ever going to buy a mop again. So that mop business is going to go out. So we made Swiffers because they break and you need a new piece and you got to redo this. And now you got to buy new pieces and that business can stay in function. It's like, is that the best way? Or should I just get a mop, have a nice mop and a bucket and it lasts me a lifetime, right? We, but how we do put- you avoid that, right? Because like, if, if you have an economy that is truly stagnant where no new products are created, no new, there's, there's no new generation of ideas because you've got everything covered, right? Then you're, you're going to stagnate and you, and you don't get that growth. And, and any economy needs growth. Any, comp- any company, any country needs growth, right? If you're going to run the country on the economy as a primary, you know, engine, that's, that, that's what we do. And that's why we have these problems because the economy is paramount. Humanity, uh, human value, the value of time is not paramount. We have the coin as is paramount, and it's not innovation. We we stagnated innovation because innovation would have taken away business. It doesn't mean you can't reinvent the mop. It just means you can't reinvent the mop with 15 pieces and a mop that breaks. You can make a more sturdy, more effective mop. It just has a it doesn't have an economic drive behind it It, it, give me a mop that lasts a lifetime that does better job than the other mop that lasted a lifetime Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't mean that innovation has to stop it just means that it has to be driven by a different engine and the engine needs to be value humanity environmentalism things like that you just have to value things differently and our value system in this country because that's like deep at the core of what makes each individual person who we are right and like you might value that and I might value that, but there's a lot of other people out there who, who don't give two shits about that, right? And you can't, you can't take out that element of greed or envy or competitiveness that a lot of people have that drives them to do things that end up being negatives for other people, right? Yeah, uh, America, we get that, it's a beauty. And I think everyone gets to make their choice, you know, vaccines, shoes. I don't think you should mandate any of that shit. I, you know, people get their choice, but you also have to, integrate that with others like just because i don't you know i'm cognitive i let people know hey i'm not vaccinated can i come in if i'm not allowed in i just don't go to that business and i respect their decision 100 percent. and in your terms yeah they should be able to make what they want to make and then you have competing values right it's interesting because i i love hearing that from you because i feel like that's just such a rational and like logical point of view right like I'll make my choice. You make your choice. We all live with it. And, you know, like we live with our decisions. Right. But there's, I see all these examples of um, people who didn't choose, chose not to get vaccinated. And there was a business that has a stated policy, like you have to wear a mask in the store. Right. And people come in, they don't have a mask. I'm like, well, you're discriminating me against me because I don't have a mask. It's like, what happened to that old, no shirt, no shoes, no service sign. Right. Like, I'm a business, right? And and it makes makes me think it's so hypocritical, but it makes me think of uh, 
there was that that bakery i forget where like maybe colorado and there was that gay couple yeah and it's like okay so if you're going to support that bakery having the right to refuse service to the gay couple under like freedom of speech or whatever then you better support those businesses who are saying you need to wear a mask in my store because that's their policy and they get to make that choice but it's so hypocritical that now all of a sudden those same people that were like nah they don't have to bake the gay cake now they're like you're discriminating against me. Yeah, it, 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 it's more complicated again for me, you know, and I think it, again, it comes down to education, being able to have good educational systems that create open dialogue like we're having right now. That's, that doesn't happen. You get taught what you get taught. This is what it is. Uh, my younger brother went to a Christian school and he came home, my parents paid extra for it. And he comes home with this book that says the world was created 4,000 years ago. Right? Because that's what the biblical shit told them. Oh. And it's, you know, that type of science. And they were, that's what they, that's what they knew. And if they argued in school, there wasn't a discussion about it. It was like, no, go get out of class. We need to be able to have an educational system that allows for those discussions. I should be in it and they should be able to have a discussion in class and tell me that it's 4,000 years old. Okay. Support your argument. Let me understand where you're coming from. And then I'll have a discussion. The, the art of debate and actual debate is, should be part of education and you should be able to go in there and disprove it because it's science. It's the scientific method. Things have been disproven that they, they thought the world was fucking flat until they were proved otherwise. Right. And until then, that was acceptable and it was fine and I'm all for it. But someone took the balls and took the initiative to go out and figure it out and then came back and they were like, check it out. We need to keep doing that on every in every discussion, this COVID thing. People, people get so emotional. You know, it's like they, they tie they tie some personal res, personal value statement to the result of that argument right like oh no i can't be wrong because then that means like i'm i'm bad or there's something wrong with me right like people need to just think like a scientist right in all things and that might sound dry or boring but like that's the only way that we will find the best solutions to all our problems that we're facing right now is we got to look at it rationally like have you seen uh that movie uh don't look up of course i have yeah it's like (laughs) these scientists these rational people are like we are going to die if we do not do this, right? And they're like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. And then all of a sudden there's the economic incentive and then no spoilers, but I love the way it ended because it was like, that's what would fucking happen. Yeah, yeah. You mean it's not 100%? (laughs) 99.8, okay, so it's not 100%. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. I think that it, it, it was scary. It was scary, fantastic, because it is. That is the world we're, we're, we're dealing with that type of perspective on things, which is, alludes to what I was saying earlier. And that we've got to figure out how to change that. And it's got to be a drastic change. It can't be incremental. We're not in a, we're in a weird time period, you and me, where we're the decision makers when these boomers do pass off. They're going to pass that wealth to us, but it's not going to matter. We're not going to have a timeline where that wealth's going to matter for us. We're, we have a, a limited time. That's with, very cynical. How much time do we have? Oh, you're looking at, if you're looking at, and you're trusting science and the numbers, 2045, you're looking at like 
really bad scenarios where infrastructure and the world is going to shrink into little pockets, little tiny pockets of civilization and 2050 breathable air, breathable air, like things that you, breathable air, bro. Like look at California. They don't have drinking water because of capitalism. They sold it all to Nestle and to people yeah, that bottled it. Shit. Right. Like this and, and people that they take it for granted, but it's good. The next thing is breathable air. Look at Washington with the fires. Yeah. What do we have? Like a month, six, six weeks where the, the breathing air due to our inability to logistically maintain the wilderness, which is really simple. Like you want to employ people, go pick up the under shrubs and the fallen branches. There you go. Just go pick it up and re reuse it ship it up, make it, in, there's, there's useful ways to fix that problem mm-hmm. that we just don't do because- I was just hey, driving down the freeway today and I was looking at the median in between the two directions and just there's trash all over the place, right? Like you don't see that in other areas. It's like, how about we start a program where you can pay, you can get paid minimum wage, I don't know, 15 bucks an hour and just clean up trash, right? And like maybe even incentive, the more trash you clean up by weight, the more you get paid, right? All of a sudden tie that capitalistic incentive into it. And then all these people can make, you know, it's creating jobs. I don't know, just an idea, but. I have a sax program that I literally have worked on. I have a whole thing on it. It's a sanitary assistance committee and it's a homeless initiative doing just that. You say, look, we'll provide you. Here's a place where you can come pick up bags and gloves go pick up trash, bring it back. We'll give you food. We'll give you a hot meal and you incentivize them. And it, it works on a different, lot of different ways psychologically, because then people see instead of homeless beggars and people out panhandling, they see them out picking up trash and they get a different perspective on these people. Because a lot of the times, you know, they're not all drug dealer, drug users and abusers. Some of them are just bad. Life sucks sometimes. And that's where you end up and it makes it makes for a difficult outcome. I myself have been homeless three times in my life. I'm not a waste of space. I'm not uneducated, but life hit me. I didn't know how to cope with it. And I got, you know, I, I luckily pulled myself out of it, but some people don't. Yeah. And, you know, you can, we can provide them structural ways to do that. And then, you know, logistically connecting them with programs that we have that just don't work because they're not operated efficiently. We have all these programs that are sitting there and no one knows they exist half the time. Like a lot of the time, people don't realize there's programs where if you're homeless, you can get a free cell phone. I wish I could get a free oh, cell phone. Yeah, right? There's, the there's 13. I don't know if it's that nice, but it's, it's pretty fucking nice. Really? But th- there, there's all these programs that are just, they're disjointed and they're not logistically put together. And today with the, the stuff we have, we can easily take care of logistical problems if we just took the people... I think we misuse our greatest resource, which is people. And we, we don't really use them functionally. We have universities of our best or our brightest. And why, why did we go to Pfizer or Moderna for the vaccine? Why didn't we just be like, hey, we're going to dump that money into a university, a, a few universities and say, figure it out and put our best and our brightest. You know, they, they couldn't have done worse. No offense, but we, we, we put trillions of dollars into Johnson and Johnson only one year after they were sued for talcum powder and knowingly given women ovarian cancer. Talcum powder gives people cancer. 
Oh man, yeah, you got to get on that one. Yeah, Johnson and Johnson, they got sued. They they knew for like ten years that they were giving women ovarian oh. cancer because of baby powder. They got sued and got they lost. They got smacked. I mean, I Pfizer, know. Pfizer. If you if you look up the biggest uh, biggest court payout in the last twenty years, Pfizer in twenty twelve for knowingly giving out a prescription that caused some sort of disease. Yet these are the companies that we threw trillions of dollars at to come up with our vaccine when it was an emergency. It's like, we should yes, have given that money to Monsanto. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because I perhaps. know Monsanto's got some devious shit out there that they can use that would probably kill COVID, just kill us too. Yeah, yeah. Or Halliburton to rebuild everything. So, you know, the, I, I feel like if we were using our universities properly, we would we would benefit more because these kids their incentive is education their incentive is maybe not having student loans and being in debt and we can take it we can incentivize them by saying hey go to work on this first uh university to come up with a solution gets a bell prize boom or none of the people in that department have to pay for their student loans for life whatever and we can take advantage of these people. They are, they're, they're so much smarter than we were and we weren't dumb, but these kids today, they're stupid smart. They've had access to technology, the library of Alexandria right here in front of our faces. And they've been able, they can buzz through it so fast. It's ridiculous. Yeah. We got to take advantage of that. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's finish off with a real quick segment on politics. Everybody likes talking politics. Um, so there's some big elections coming up, right? We know that the Democrats managed to get a, um, you know, 50, 50 with the Senate and got the tiebreaker with Kamala. Um, and we know that there's supposedly this red wave going on right now and the, the house of reps and it's swinging red. Um, what do you see happening? Do you, where do you see the momentum going? I, I see the same soap opera playing out. That's been playing out forever. Uh, it's going to go there. The red's going to get back. They're going to go ahead and make some changes by 2024. It's going to look like, you know, the Republicans were the saviors of everything. And, you know, all they're going to do is bring us back to a mediocre status quo. And it's just going to go right back because, you know, the Democrats are a joke. I don't believe in either party. <laughs> I think I think we are in a illusion of a choice consistently this country um and we don't have any saving grace outside of an unknown person uh breaking the mold and taking advantage of this well if they we could thought do that, that andrew yang was that guy right like you and i were going to rallies and stuff like that you know we were andrew yang um acolytes um and yep. now we started the, the forward party right which will hopefully be a viable third party. You know, like I think the biggest turnout ever for a third party was Ross Perot. And I forget what his party affiliation was, but like, do you think Yang with the forward party will be able to steal some of that, that vote? I think that he's going to provide something for people to look at. I don't think that he has a chance. I believe the system is completely rigged. I think you know, voter fraud has been proven every single time. So somebody's operating on that level. 
Um, I don't think that, you know, coming in as an outlier is going to be a winning tactic. I think if you're going to do something, you have to completely come out of left field and take advantage of social media, viral marketing, and go about grassroots in a holistic way that nobody's done, not even Bernie. I think you've got to take the momentum that a Bernie Sanders created and Andrew Yang created, and you need to go on and modernize it. Get together with some you know, high name bands and some entertainment and do a countrywide Woodstock and do my thought process is to take like a sax program and take some initiatives that you want and be like, Hey, we're going to come to Seattle. We're going to have a one week rally. We're going to do this, 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 and have like, you know, just kind of own the city. And while you're there, all of our people are going to go around and pick up your city. We're going to pick up the trash. We're going to help the homeless people and take your incentives and your ideas and implement them in these cities and go from place to place, to place, to place, to place, to place. And instead of taking money and dumping it into TV advertisements to get your 65 and older voters, you take it and you dump it into programs. And if somebody does a negative ad spin on you, they say spend arbitrary number, 3 million on a negative ad spend. First thing I would do, I would call up the local news agency. I'd go right down to my local children's hospital and be like, we have 300, we have $3 million and instead of doing a negative ad, we're going to donate it to this local children's organization. That's how we're going to operate. Kill and them with kindness. Extreme levels of it. Like looking, my, my, everything I pull from is, you know, Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, people that exceptionally lived on the idea of love and that, and we've got to take what they taught us and modernize it, man. Mm-hmm. We've got to, you know, it, you can't just be like, oh, we're going to do sit-ins. Like, yeah, that worked then. What version of that today would work now? And we've got to start implementing those concepts and those ideas. And people need to realize that a solution doesn't mean it's an answer, mm-hmm. right? Solution, the answer is a solution, but all solutions aren't answers. That, and we need, we need to just start throwing solutions out there until we figure out what the answer is. I want to show you an ad. I'm going to pause this. Oops. Spencer Cox. We are currently in the... I'm Chris Peter. Okay. I'm going to share my screen. Yeah. This is a political ad from Utah. And I'm Spencer Cox. We are currently in the final days of campaigning against each other to be your next governor. And while I think you should vote for me... Yeah, but really you should vote for me. There are some things we both agree on. We can debate issues without degrading each other's character. We can disagree without hating each other. And win or lose in Utah, we work together. So let's show the country that there's a better way. My name's Chris Peterson. And I'm Spencer Cox. And we approve this message. Not bad, huh? It's a beautiful example of what it would, I I think, optimally should be. People come together with ideas. You know, I, I like the idea of how it started, where, you know, the winner was the president, mm-hmm. second place was vice president, third place was the next spot. There you go. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter what party you were in, 
and you had to work with those people. Like, yeah. why, why do we not, why do we not keep with that program? Like, why do, why does the person running for president get to pick his vice president when we could just have both groups of people in this country represented at the same time? Like, just have the winner is the president who takes second is the vice president. Their collaboration of ideas get to work together and then they get to work through Congress. I think it just works more beneficial for the outcome of what people really want. Well, there was that party that that proposed that last cycle and I forget what they called it, but they had that same thing where one was a you know Republican, one was a Democrat. And then after two years, they would switch. Or no, maybe it was after four years, they would switch and then it would be the flip-flopped. And- yeah. um, I thought that was an interesting idea, you know, like perfect balance, like Thanos, right? Like, is, is that what is that what we want? We want Big Daddy Thanos to come in here and create our political system? Don't get me wrong. I, that's a whole other conversation on Thanos. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's that far off of being on point. Um, but uh, I don't know. You know, when it comes to politics, again, I, I don't know the answer. I know we have to come up with better solutions because the way we operate, it doesn't function. All we're doing is creating this political insanity, which degrades each time. It doesn't, it doesn't get better. It gets worse each time. Each round it's getting worse. And if the last two rounds have been any example of how bad it can be, just what, what, what are we going to get next? I mean, you know, I, my, my greatest hope is that Mark Cuban runs with Andrew Yang and I don't even really like Andrew Yang, but I just think that that's a winning ticket that gets us. Oh, you're, you're not Yang Gang anymore? You're off the Yang no. train? I, I, I don't like the way he, he sold out to the Democrats and became this political uh, savvy entity. I, I appreciated him when he was blunt and he was very about math and pointing out the problems. Now he, as a political savvy, where he's navigating between both sides, I don't want someone to navigate between both sides and pander and move their focus. I want someone that's focused on solutions, sticking there and willing to listen 100%, but not willing to pander. I don't want you to pander or sway your focus. He had great statistics early on. He had great reason for everything. And then all of a sudden he joins the democratic party and a lot of his agenda goes away like the well the he, he was with the democrats from the start when he ran for president but he wasn't aligned with them like he was at the end when he was when he, at the end his his focus got down to just a few key points whereas at first he was talking about the penny and how useless the penny is and you know doing interstate uh exchange programs and he was talking about his full platform way more aggressively at the end he started narrowing his focus because he wanted to get the tv focus he wanted the people which i get it i get it i get it i don't appreciate it because we have more than just plastic issues we're not we don't need kardashian politicians and that's what we have we have people that are just going to focus on what get the clicks and gets people to do this. We need people that are outside of that. I don't want a popularity contest. I want an intellectual contest. I want people that are willing to look at it from a scientific point of view and come up with the best solutions. 
But and, don't you think that that he made a business decision and that he knew that that if he had stayed that course from the beginning that he wouldn't have even got on the debate stage you would have been like marianne williamson you know a joke at least he got some semblance of legitimacy you know enough so that he could run for mayor and now has this sort of cultural cachet but like he had to sort of play the game right just the way bernie does right like bernie's not so much a democrat as all he is only in that he's not a republican and there's no other viable you know party for him to glom onto. and it's that way with yang you got to if, if you want to, you know, make an omelet, you got to break a couple eggs, you know? I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that's the way to go. Um, I understand why people do it, but I think those type of people lack integrity. They lack uh, the fortitude needed to make the changes that are necessary. Um, if they're not willing to stand on the platform and speak their mind and stand up for the major changes that are needed and they have to back off because they I got to be part of this popular crowd because they're the, they're what's going to get me forward my ideas and my stance isn't going to be enough for me then they're not they're not the person we need that they're not going to be able to execute the exceptional heroic things that are needed today so unfortunately are there any politicians you like uh you know like I, I like parts of them like I like part of I still like part of Andrew Yang I just don't think he's I don't think he's strong enough to do the things necessary to right the ship. Um, you know, same goes for Bernie. I actually shout out to Marianne Ann Williamson. I think she was badass. Uh, she did stand her ground and she stood on love. Yep. It was great. I met her. She was a fantastic woman and uh, I appreciate her very much, but she didn't, she didn't pander to the party. She said, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm about. And she stayed true and Nobody's willing to do that because the political machine has created this dogma that you can't, you have to, you have to be part of the cool kids club. Otherwise you're not allowed to play. Somebody needs to say, no, I'm going to break that mold. And I believe there's an engine to do it. I really do. I think something like this, if you get yourself on and you dedicate yourself, I'm going to hit every podcast. I'm going to hit Joe Rogan. I'm going to hit all the major podcasts and you go around systematically and you just blow up social media the millennials are bigger and outnumber the boomers now, man. Make them your target market. Yeah. Make them your target because the boomers are dying and they're dying at record numbers right now, especially they with vote. COVID. Young they do vote, vote. But, they, but they will. And there's a way around that. You, you, you hit them right here and you motivate them in a way that has never been done. Like I said, you get out there and you show them virally through effort. Like a politician that, yeah, every single week I go out and I pick up trash with the homeless and I help homeless camps every single week. And I YouTube it and I, I get out there and I grind for a whole day, not just like a little tidbit, whole day dedicated to doing these things action wise. And you spread it through the social media. And then other days you're going out and you're talking about your programs, you're showing statistical numbers and you address their problems like economics, like, Hey, minimum wage for me, I'm doing this. Minimum wage has to be $25 or more. They're giving you crumbs when you need a piece of cake. It's bullshit. They're just trying to feed you lines. The, the numbers don't ma match up. $15 an hour cannot, you can't survive on 40 hours a week at $15 an hour. It's impossible. Mathematically impossible, period. We need to have a national minimum wage at $25 an hour. End of story. That's the only way that you can make it. You don't even make the median average salary at $25 an hour. Hmm. Not, you, know, you end up, you know, the median average salary in the country is like 63 grand a year. 
at $25 an hour at full time with taxes and stuff, you only get up to around like 50. And these are rough numbers. I, I, I did them before and they're not stuck in there, but no, you don't that, quite. Make that's, that's basically the scale that I remember. It's like you just double the hourly wage and then at, I mean, at three zeros. Yeah. So yeah. You, you don't even make median salary, but at 50, you can make it. You can, you can pay your rent. You can take care of your essential bills and the things that society requires of you. And you can, you can make it. But we're, 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 we're have, we have people in this country that are working full-time, giving 40 hours of their week. I don't care what you're doing. You're giving 40 hours of your week. That's a, that's a quarter or a third of your week mm-hmm. in hours. And you're not making enough to even pay your bills. That's not fair. It's not fair at all, period. And yeah. we complain and we, tell, we say people are lazy or they're uneducated. I don't care if they're picking up poop. They deserve to make, they deserve all the things that they need to survive. And we, we don't, we, we shit on them and it's not yeah. fair. Yeah. Well said, well said. Well, uh, we've been on this for hour and 15 now. So Ryan, thank you for joining me for the first episode. Uh, do you have any social accounts you want to plug or any products you want to plug? Um, you know, um, I'm going to be working on, on uh, my TikTok and Instagram. So riboflavin, check me out there. Um, yeah. Uh, I've got some stuff I'm working on, uh, conscious botanicals distillery, uh, it's a CBD company. We're, uh, working on really pushing some products right now. Um, follow us as we grow. Um, you know, and, uh, I'll be plugging a lot of things here in the coming weeks. This 2022 is a big year for me. It's a year of action. I'm going to put myself out there on social media. We're going to hit podcasts like this at every opportunity. So anybody that wants to have me hit me up. Um, if you look me up on Facebook, R Y E space B O W ribo, I'm the guy in the Batman mask <laughs> and I'll respond right away. And I'm happy to talk about anything you want to talk about and, uh, you know, shoot the breeze and come up with some solutions for the plethora of problems we have today. Word. All right. Thank you for joining me, buddy. Yeah, no worries. Thanks. Pa- Take care, man. Aaron, you have a nice night and, uh, we'll talk soon. Yep. Peace.